Listener Production. The story of missing fraudster Melissa Caddick was shocking and captivating. If Melissa, you're out there, we're really appealing for you to get in touch with us and to come home safely. After she went missing from her $10 million home in Sydney's eastern suburbs three years ago, there were initially some reported sightings. But the theory that she'd gone into hiding was quashed when one of her decomposed feet inside a sneaker washed up on a beach a few months later. Now, the second biggest character in this whole crazy story is her former husband, hairdresser and amateur music producer, Anthony Coletti. One week ago, Dover Heights mother, Melissa Caddick, went for an early morning run, but she never came home. Her disappearance is being treated as suspicious and follows an ASIC investigation into her business dealings. So this is a track Anthony Coletti released on Spotify after she disappeared. And in his music, he's highly critical of ASIC for raiding their home. Now, in a particularly bizarre detail, the cover art for these songs released on Spotify is a photo of a pair of sneakers, just like the one that washed up on the beach. Now, up until very recently, Anthony Coletti's been fighting to keep substantial amounts of the assets and luxury items purchased with the proceeds of his wife's fraud. Now, after all this time, he's backing down, and we're going to find out why. That's today's briefing, the story of Anthony Coletti. First, here are today's headlines. Hello, it's Katrina Blowers here with you. It is Tuesday the 21st of November. Well, there are big changes at Optus in the wake of that massive outage affecting millions of Australians and also last year's data breach. So Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin is now stepping down as CEO. Her decision followed a Senate inquiry on Friday, stating that after personal reflection, her resignation is in the best interest of Optus. Uh, Senator Hanson Young also says it's great to see some accountability. The CEO has quit. Uh, I thank her for uh, fronting the Senate inquiry and being upfront and honest with us. Uh, She's taken responsibility now. And uh, I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, so is it the right thing to do? That is the question. This has been such an interesting story. Um, the CEO steps down. Um, I guess you've got to look at the different failings in this whole debacle, Katrina. Obviously, um, she was way too slow to get out and make a public statement. The network outage happened at four o'clock and it was many hours later that she was in the media. Um, part of the problem with that is that politicians start to jump in and your critics get in on the story first and then she faced the big um, Senate inquiry grilling on Friday that Hanson Young was just referring to. Um, That's pretty excruciating for executives and we've seen a few of those lately. Um, Also very uncomfortable for Alan Joyce and Richard Goiter from Qantas. Um, PwC, the big accounting firm with their scandal also faced that. Uh, And then it was also I think um, the fact that she there was a mistake made about explaining what went wrong that seemed to blame their parent company, Singtel, um, in Singapore. And I'm reading reports this morning that she lost the support of the Singaporean directors on the board. She still had the support of the Australian directors, but it looks like she made the parent company very unhappy. Yeah, and I think too there's a perception and and perhaps this was the advice that she was given internally for who knows what reason, it could have been legal reasons, that um, she she wasn't truly sorry or that Optus wasn't truly sorry and, and, you know, 
Kelly as the the face of Optus uh, didn't express that apology, especially um, with, around the accusations of inadequate compensation and then doing things like hiring security to fend off questions after the Senate inquiry. Um, just this lack of transparency. It, it's a communications company and it's accused mm. of not communicating. And when you put it in the context of um, this coming after an unsophisticated hack and leaking of customer details, which was also under her watch, I think it stacks up um, that perhaps a resignation was the mm. right thing to do to restore that public confidence. Yeah, I just feel a little bit uncomfortable with this sort of the public lynching element of of this kind of incident where all the focus sort of comes down onto one individual. I mean, the actual technical mistake here would be so deep within the technical expertise of people working at Optus, so far away from the CEO's direct control that that element of it at least is not directly the CEO's fault. It is more the communication side of it. But you know, especially with these um, Senate inquiry grillings, I think it's it's great that there's a way to put a lot of public accountability on on these CEOs who make crazy money. Um, but when all the sort of outrage focuses on an individual, yeah, just part of that makes me uncomfortable, and I'm I'm not sure that it's really fair or necessarily um, moves us towards a better outcome in the future. Interestingly, you, you spoke about individuals. We should mention that the um, interim CEO is a, a guy called Michael Venter, who's the chief financial officer of Optus mm. currently. But uh, Optus's star recruit, Gladys Berejiklian, could be mm. among the contenders to take on the CEO position. Imagine that. Uh, yes, that would be really interesting, Katrina. Gladys Berejiklian, the former New South Wales Premier. Um, she's been in a senior role um, trying to win government contracts for Optus. She's being touted of, as one of two potential future CEOs for Optus. But the big problem for her, I mean, apart from the fact she, she hasn't been the CEO of a big public company before, she's been the CEO of a state essentially, which is quite different. But the big thing hanging over her was this ICAC finding of corruption. Now, she's currently appealing that. So, It'd be pretty risky, you can imagine, especially from the Singapore parent company's perspective, to install a CEO who's about to go through a court appeal and all the headlines, negative headlines, that will come from that. So I think she could only be the CEO once that matter is completely done and dusted and she's successful in her appeal. I think even if it's done and dusted and she's not successful, that would be a, a risk too for the company. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. And speaking of big sackings, there's a, an interesting story out of America as well, Katrina. The boss of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, was fired on Friday. So his name is Sam Altman. So that was a big story in itself. But what's happened afterwards is really interesting. So now uh, we've found out that he's been hired by Microsoft, um, who are racing against OpenAI in the development of um, artificial intelligence. So he's been hired by them to head a new advanced AI team. And his former um, employees, 550 of them at OpenAI, have signed an open letter threatening to quit unless the board reinstate him. Um, and the letter said to the board, your actions have made it obvious that you're incapable of overseeing OpenAI. We're unable to work for or with people that lack competence, judgment and care for our mission 
and employees, and that was the majority of staff members, apparently. There's a new COVID vaccine that will hit the market from December 11. The XBB jab will provide better protection against the Omicron subvariant strains fueling the current wave of infections. COVID is still with us and infections are rising in the sixth Omicron wave that we've experienced in Australia over the last couple of years. So keeping up to date with your vaccines is critically important. That was Health Minister Mark Butler. Pretty important. Um, only about a quarter of vulnerable people have had their booster shots so far. I imagine for anyone with a, a comorbidity or any kind of vulnerability, this will be really important. Um, I do wonder whether for the rest of the population, um, there'll be that much appetite to go out and get a different new vaccine. A lot of people haven't even got the most recent boosters. And a second inquiry into Queensland's forensic lab has revealed another DNA testing error. Uh, this could potentially affect more than 100,000 samples. So this is from an automated robotic DNA extraction method, which was known as Project 13. And it was found to be fundamentally flawed and wasn't even scientifically validated. So now, as I said, those samples are going to have to be retested, Tom. They in involve 37,000 criminal cases and some of those murder and rape cases. And those cases are going to have to be reviewed. And it's estimated the backlog caused by retesting could take up to three years to clear. No heads are going to roll over this, which a lot of people are really surprised and not happy about, frankly. Um, it's just been a debacle of epic proportions. Mm. Yeah, so this is a really big story in Queensland, right? I think, you know, for a lot of people around the country, we knew there was, you know, big issues with the, the DNA lab. There was the big Headley Thomas podcast, Shandy story that looked into this, but then there's been so much that's happened since then. What's, what's the key take out here? This system, Project 13, it was a system that was new. So, you know, if we, we're going towards an automated process of testing samples like blood or material found on weapons and, and that kind of thing, for the first time, scientists were using this robotic extraction technique rather than doing it by hand, doing it manually. And that's because they already had this huge backlog of cases and they thought this brand new system is is going to be the solution for that and allow us to move through this really quickly. The only problem was, in many cases, it just wasn't extracting enough DNA. So, you know, that it's been blamed for um, Shandy Blackburn's killer um, potentially walking free because not enough good DNA was found in that case to convict anyone. So, you know, Shandy Blackburn's mum, who's been really on the front foot with this, with advocating for change, she's saying, I don't trust um, these labs to even retest the DNA involved in her murder and I want a different lab to test that. And so and a lot of other victims of crime are coming forward saying that too. They just don't trust the system even now moving forward. So are they bringing in private labs to do some of the testing? Well, that hasn't been announced yet. Um, this all broke late yesterday. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to watch and see. So interesting. Um, and so is our briefing. Um, we're about to get into it. Uh, the story of Anthony Coletti, Melissa Caddick's partner. Melissa is a dedicated and incredible mother, a beautiful daughter, sister and loved wife. We are asking the community to help bring Melissa home. 
So that was Anthony Coletti a week after his wife went missing, which was straight after ASIC, the financial regulator, raided their home in Sydney and seized huge amounts of luxury items. She was being investigated for stealing $23 million of friends and family money in a fraudulent financial advisor scheme. As you're about to hear, her husband, Anthony Coletti, tried to hang on to millions of dollars of those assets, but bit by bit, with lots of expensive legal wrangling, he slowly capitulated. Kate McClyman is one of Australia's leading investigative journalists. She's led the way on the Caddick story for the Sydney Morning Herald 9 News and in a podcast series called Liar Liar. Kate, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Tom. So one of the first times we ever saw Anthony Coletti was him at that press conference calling on the community to basically keep a lookout for Melissa Caddick and try and bring her home. What did you make of him initially? Look, initially it just seemed very odd. Like just the way he was speaking was unusual. And then as soon as you realised that um, he said, oh, you know, come on home, Melissa, you're not in trouble, you haven't done anything wrong, and you think, hang on, your house has just been raided by authorities, Uh, you have been stealing money from people, yep, I think something is seriously wrong. So his unusual behaviour, I think, raised eyebrows from the beginning and then it later transpired that the day after their house was raided by police, Melissa Caddick did in fact disappear. She left behind her phone, her keys, her wallet, and yet her husband took 30 hours Mm. to report her missing. Now, that in some ways was just crucial in, one, hindering the police investigation, and, two, it just made the whole thing bizarre. And I don't think that, you know, there's no suggestion that Anthony has done anything wrong or, or in fact, knew anything about Melissa's crimes. But his slightly unusual behaviour has, you know, been interesting the whole way through this process. Absolutely, which is why we're doing this story right now, because that that unusual behaviour continues. It sort of went to a whole new level of bizarre when in the months after the ASIC raids, he he made these, I don't know if you'd call them songs, but these musical tracks that were cutting beats with uh, his own spoken word, clips from the media and the artwork for this music that he put on Spotify. It's still there. You can actually listen to it right now. Oh, just a warning. It's a warning. Don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think it's bad for your ears. It's haunting, that's for sure. Like there's a picture of two ASIC sneakers as the artwork for some of the music. There's also a track called Liar Lies where he has a crack at you and your colleagues at nine for your reporting on this story, including your podcast series Liar Liar. The track's called Liar Liars. So that must have added to the complex picture of who this man was. Well, look, not only that, but the songs that you were talking about actually led to one of the young uh, investigators at ASIC taking out an AVO against Anthony Coletti. I mean, it's rare that you have AVOs taken out for singing. (laughs) But throughout all this, um, Anthony was claiming that it was because of ASIC that his wife has disappeared. In fact, he was saying they killed my wife. During the raid that went for about 11 hours, 
He claimed that they tortured his wife, that they deprived her of food and water. And it was interesting at the coronial inquiry that occurred only this year, there was body cam played from that raid. There was about 20 ASIC and federal police officers executing search warrants and none of his allegations were substantiated, which brings us to what has happened more recently, and that is that apart from blaming ASIC for his wife's misfortune and three months after her house was raided, this was her house was raided in in November 2020, Melissa Caddick's ASIC shoe containing her partial remains washed up on a remote south coast beach, you know, some 400 kilometres from Sydney. And the inquest determined that, yes, it was her DNA inside those ASIC sneakers. However, the cause and manner of her death still remains undetermined. So we don't actually know Mm. how she died, but the coroner is satisfied that she is dead. So during all this time, Coletti has been claiming that he is entitled to most of the, you know, what's left of the $23 million Mm. that she stole from her family and friends. Now, you can imagine how this made her victims feel, that she has stolen the life savings of her relatives, of her friends. And here's Anthony Coletti telling the court actually being her husband, I am entitled Mm. to much of that. Now, I cannot tell you how many thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees has been spent actually proving that these assets Anthony Coletti did not put money into. And, Tom, as I said before, there's just so many contradictory things that he says. So when his wife first went missing, he told the federal court that he was an unemployed hairdresser, Mm. that because it was COVID, he'd given up work to look after the household. And he had $1.95 to his name and that he was totally dependent on Melissa and she paid all the household expenses. Then he later says, no, I paid good money for those. Mm. I paid for my wedding ring. So in order to disprove that, Forensic accountants had to be hired by their receivers. They had to do all the tracing of the money through all the various accounts to prove that they were, in fact, proceeds of crime. So we get to this week and, lo and behold, Anthony Coletti has abandoned just about all of those claims and he's now left with goods that are valued at about $10,000 and that is two dresses belonging to his wife, his wedding ring and a watch. And it just wasn't worth the receivers continuing this legal battle, you know, basically throwing good money after bad. But the money that the receivers are spending is all coming out of the proceeds that should be going to the victims. So I, I think it's been a fairly frustrating process. Wow. So he's making claims for these assets? That is correct. Mm. What will be interesting is whether the receivers will pursue him for a costs order. So in court, if you are on the losing side of an argument, you're normally ordered to pay the other side's costs. I mean, if this were to happen, 
that $10,000 or the the $10,000 worth of goods will be absolutely shadowed by a huge cost order that may be made against him. So what do you think's been his logic in this back down? You said that he got two dresses and a watch eventually, but there were some other strange items that he capitulated on quite recently, other goods that seem like they really mattered to him on a personal level, even though the money should have gone back to the investors. What do you think's been going on on his side that just slowly the evidence has piled up that his case doesn't stack up? Look, it's really hard to know, but as the months have gone on, the receivers send him things saying, okay, here is the tracing of the money that we've done. For instance, initially the receivers had an incredible list of Melissa Caddick's jewellery. And, I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars. So Anthony just went through the list and wrote on it, given to me, the jeweller gave that to me, and they said, you know, look, Anthony, that's not actually how it works. You can't hmm. just write on something and say, gave to me. You, you, you know, we have to have evidence. We can't just take your word for it. So where does his life go from here? And also Melissa Caddick's son, because that was another really interesting set of items in this tussle was this really expensive sneaker collection. What happened to those sneakers and what's happening to the son and Anthony now? The son is finishing school this year and he has been living with his stepfather, Anthony. And, you know, by all accounts, that's a loving relationship. But uh, speaking of the shoes, so When they actually left the house, the Dover Heights house, which was eventually sold for almost $10 million, the son took with him a a very extensive collection of sneakers. And these just weren't any old sneakers. Melissa Caddick had basically given him money to build up a sneaker collection. This was Uh, her son's passion. So some of these sneakers were $20,000. So of the collection of sneakers, they've gone through and they've just said, look, okay, we will take the most valuable items of these because these need to be sold and the money returned to the investors. And so the stepson is keeping the less valuable ones. Wow. Yeah, look, with so many... um bizarre elements of this story and, you know, including the, the music, which is just mind-bending. It's it's sort of easy to poke fun at Anthony Coletti, but especially when you bring the son into the story, you know, final year of school and even for Anthony Coletti to have firstly the ASIC raid, but then your partner disappear, then the remains wash up on a beach, then all the media scrutiny. Um, however strange he is as a personality, him and the son have been through the most bizarre hell you could imagine. Horrendous. I mean, absolutely horrendous. Nothing equips you to deal with these kind of things. And as I said before, there is absolutely no evidence that Anthony Coletti was aware of what his wife was doing. He just took it on face value that she was a successful financial advisor. Mm. And I think that's something that people find hard to understand is his refusal ever to say, God, I'm sorry about what my wife did to you. It must have been horrible for you too. That was Kate McClymont from Nine Newspapers. Now, before long, we'll find out what Coletti's legal bill will be. 
which will be more pain for his former wife's victims because it's money that should have been going back into their pockets. And if you've got a really dark sense of humour and too much time on your hands, uh, you can search the artist's name Pause Off on Spotify. That's P-A-W-S, Pause Off, and enjoy such tracks as Melissa is Missing, Turn Your Body Cam Off, and the one dedicated to Kate and her team, Liar Liars. Listener.